0: One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast,
1: where we produce and develop the highest
0: quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall, and I'm your host, Derek Baker. Today, we're talking about the game that started it all, started every video game, but it didn't start every video game. But it's been ported the most, it's holding some world records, and it's basically influenced, I think, most mobile puzzle games to
1: date. Absolutely. Tetris is a classic. I can still remember the cartridge for the Game Boy. I think it might have been included in some packages, but it was basically a staple back in that era, still alive and well today, of course, even made its way into board game form. People love Tetris. People play Tetris-style games when they're maybe playing Move and Out, playing any kind of game, basically, where you're trying to fit shapes into shapes, an all-time classic.
0: Excited to talk about this one today. Absolutely. So let's get to it. Tetris. Tetris is a puzzle video game created by Soviet software engineer Alexey Pajitnov in 1984. It has been published by several companies for multiple platforms, most prominently during a dispute over the appropriation of the rights in the late 1980s. After a significant period of publication by Nintendo, the rights reverted to Pajitnov in 1996, who co-founded the Tetris company with Hank Rogers to manage licensing. In Tetris, players complete lines by moving differently shaped pieces, tetrominos, which descend into the playing field. The completed lines disappear and grant the player points, and the player can proceed to fill the vacated spaces. The game ends when the uncleared lines reach the top of the playing field. The longer the player can delay this outcome, the higher the score will be. In multiplayer games, players must last longer than their opponents. In certain versions, players can inflict penalties on opponents by completing a significant number of lines. Some versions add variations on the rules, such as three-dimensional displays or a system for reserving pieces. Built on simple rules, Tetris established itself as one of the great early video games. By December 2011, Tetris had sold 202 million copies, approximately 70 million physical units, and 132 million paid mobile game downloads making it one of the best-selling video game franchises of all time. The Game Boy version is one of the best-selling games of all time, with more than 35 million copies sold. Tetris is available on over 65 platforms, setting a Guinness World Record for the most ported video game. Tetris is rooted within popular culture, and its popularity extends beyond the sphere of video games. Imagery from the game has influenced architecture, music, and cosplay. The game has also been the subject of various research studies that have analyzed its theoretical complexity and have shown its effect on the human brain following a session, in particular, the Tetris effect. So yes, very popular. Let's talk a little bit more about the
1: studio. Pajitnov was born to parents who were both writers. His father was a critic of the arts, and his mother was a journalist who wrote for both newspapers and a film magazine. It was through his parents that Pagetnov gained exposure to the arts, eventually developing a passion for cinema. He accompanied his mother to many film screenings, including the Moscow Film Festival. Pagetnov was also mathematically inclined, enjoying puzzles and problem-solving. In 1967, when he was 11 years old, Pagetnov's parents divorced. For several years, he lived with his mother in a one-bedroom apartment owned by the state, the two were eventually able to move into a private apartment at 49 Gerston Street when Pagetnov was 17. He later went on to study applied mathematics at the Moscow Aviation Institute. In 1977, Pagetnov worked as a summer intern at the Soviet Academy of Sciences. Once he graduated in 1979, he accepted a job there working on speech recognition at the Academy's Dora Nitsin Computing Center. When the Computing Center received new equipment, its researchers would write a small program for it in order to test its computing capabilities. According to Pagetnov, this, quote, became his excuse for making games. Computer games were fascinating to him because they offered a way to bridge the gap between logic and emotion, and Pagetnov held interest in both mathematics
0: and puzzles, as well as the psychology of computing. And now, in 1979, Pejitnov joined the Computer Center of the Soviet Academy of Sciences as a speech recognition researcher. While he was tasked with testing the capabilities of new hardware, his ambition was to use computers to make people happy. Pejitnov developed several puzzle games on the Institute's computer in Electronica 60, a scarce resource at the time. For Pejitnov, quote, games allow people to get to know each other better. And act as revealers of things you might not normally notice, such as their way of thinking. In 1984, while trying to recreate a favorite puzzle game from his childhood featuring pentominos, Pejintnov imagined a game consisting of a descent of random pieces that the player would turn to fill rows. He felt that the game would be needlessly complicated with twelve different shape variations, so he scaled the concept down to tetrominoes of which there are seven variants. He titled the game Tetris, a word created from the combination of tetra, meaning four, and his favorite sport, tennis. Because the Electronica 60 had no graphical interface, Pejitnov modeled the field and pieces using spaces and brackets. Realizing that completed lines fill the screen quickly, Pejetnov decided to delete them, creating a key part of Tetris gameplay. The early version of Tetris had no scoring system and no levels, but its addictive quality distinguished it from other puzzle games Pajitnov had created. Pajitnov had completed the first playable version of
1: Tetris by June 6, 1984. He presented Tetris to his colleagues, who quickly became addicted to it. It permeated the offices within the Academy of Sciences, and within a few weeks it reached every Moscow institute with a computer. A friend of Pajanov, Vladimir Polkilko, who requested the game for the Moscow Medical Institute, saw people stop working to play Tetris. Polkilko eventually banned the game from the Medical Institute to restore productivity. Pajanov sought to adapt Tetris to the IBM personal computer, which had a higher quality display than the Electronica 60. He recruited Vadim Gerasimov, a 16 year old high school student who was known for his computer skills. Pagetnov had met Gerasimov before through a mutual acquaintance, and they had worked together on previous games. Gerasimov adapted Tetris to the IBM PC over the course of a few weeks, incorporating color and a
0: scoreboard. Now, we knew that Pagetnov wanted to export Tetris, but he had no knowledge of the business world. His superiors in the academy were not necessarily happy with the success of the game, Since they had not intended such a creation from the research team. Furthermore, intellectual property did not exist in the Soviet Union, and Soviet researchers were not allowed to sell their creations. Pajitnov asked his superior, Viktor Brazhabrin, who had knowledge of the world outside of the Soviet Union, to help him publish Tetris. Pajitnov offered to transfer the rights of the game to the Academy and was delighted to receive you know, a non-compulsory compensation. You know, they didn't have to do it. They could have just taken it from him, but they're like, hey, you made a cool thing. Here's a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was it was through uh Brajbrin, um, who basically made this happen through this deal. In nineteen eighty six, Brajbrin sent a copy of Tetris to Hungarian game publisher Novatrade. From there, copies of the game began circulating via floppy disks through Hungary. And as far as Poland Robert Stein an international software salesman for the London-based firm Andromeda Software saw the game's commercial potential during a visit to Hungary in June 1986 after an indifferent response from the academy Stein contacted Pejetnov and Bragebrin by fax to obtain the license rights the researchers expressed interest in forming an agreement with Stein via fax but they were unaware that this fax communication could be considered a legal contract in the Western world.
1: Stein approached publishers at the 1987 Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Gary Carlston, co-founder of Broderbund, retrieved a copy and brought it to California. Despite enthusiasm amongst its employees, Broderbund remained skeptical because of the game's Soviet origins. Likewise, Mastertronic co-founder Martin Alper declared that, quote, No Soviet product will ever work in the Western world. Stein ultimately signed two agreements. He sold the European rights to the publisher Mirosoft, and the American rights to Spectrum Holobyte. The latter obtained the rights after a visit to Mirosoft by Spectrum Holobyte president Phil Adam, in which he played Tetris for two hours. At that time, Stein had not yet signed a contract with the Soviet Union. Nevertheless, he sold the rights to the two companies for £3,000 and a royalty of 75 to 15% on sales. Before releasing Tetris in the United States, Spectrum Holobyte CEO Gilman Louie asked for an overhaul of the game's graphics and music. The Soviet spirit was preserved, with fields illustrating Russian parks and buildings as well as melodies anchored in Russian folklore of the time. The company's goal was to make people want to buy a Russian product. The game came complete with a red package and Cyrillic text, an unusual approach on the other side of the Berlin Wall. The Mirasoft version was released for the IBM PC in November 1987, while the Spectrum
0: Holobyte version was released for the same platform in January 1988. Tetris was ported to platforms including the Amiga, Atari ST, ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, and Amstrad CPC. At the time, it made no mention of Pejitnov and came with the announcement of made in the United States of America, designed abroad. Tetris was a commercial success in Europe and the United States. Mirsoft sold tens of thousands of copies in two months, and Spectrum Holobyte sold over 100,000 units in the space of a year. According to Spectrum Holobyte, the average Tetris player was between 25 and 45 years old and was a manager or engineer. Very interesting. At the Software Publishers Association's Excellence in Software Awards ceremony in March 1988, Tetris won Best Entertainment Software, Best Original Game, Best Strategy Program, and Best Consumer Software. Stein, however, was faced with a problem. The only document Certifying a license fee was the faxed from Pajitnov and Brajbrin, meaning that Stein sold the license for a game he did not yet own. Stein contacted Pajitnov and asked him for a contract for the rights. Stein contacted Pajitnov and asked him for a contract for the rights. He began negotiations via fax, offering 75% of the revenue generated by Stein from the license. Electronic Technica, or ELORG, the Soviet Union's central organization for the import and export of computer software, was unconvinced and requested 80% of the revenue. Stein made several trips to Moscow and held long discussions with ELORG representatives. Stein came to an agreement with ELORG on February 24, 1988, and on May 10th, he signed a contract for a 10-year worldwide Tetris license for all current and future computer systems. Pejitnov and Brajabrin were unaware that the game was already on sale, and that Stein had claimed to own the rights prior to the agreement. Although Pejitnov would not receive any percentage from these sales, he said that, quote, the fact that so many people enjoy my game is enough for me.
1: Definitely an interesting perspective to have, especially when you think about how widespread Tetris has become now.
0: Yeah. And, and, and you know, that system of kind of like, hey, you made this under this company. It's kind of the companies, which we have in the U.S. for a lot of stuff, but being like, there's no copyright laws here. Like, there's no there's no ownership of things. It's just company based. And it's like, how. How can we get this out there? How can I get paid but not get paid? But I guess in the end, it's kind of like, well, at least people like it. Right. In
1: 1988, Spectrum Holobyte sold the Japanese rights to its computer games and arcade machines to Bulletproof Software's Hank Rogers, who was searching for games for the Japanese market. Mirisoft sold its Japanese rights to Atari Games' subsidiary Tengen, which then sold the Japanese arcade rights to Sega and the console rights to BPS, which published versions for Japanese computers including the Nintendo Family Computer, better known as the Famicom, known outside Japan as the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, and the MSX2. At this point, almost a dozen companies believed they held the Tetris rights, with Stein retaining rights for home computer versions. Devices like Chinese Brick Game, popular in the early 1990s, often had many variations of Tetris. Soviet Union's ELORG was still unaware of the deals Stein had negotiated, which did not bring money to them. Nevertheless, Tetris was a commercial success in North America, Europe, and Asia. The same year, Nintendo was preparing to launch its first portable console, the Game Boy. Nintendo was attracted to Tetris by its simplicity and established success on the Famicom. Rogers, who was close to then-Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi, Sought to obtain the handheld rights. After a failed negotiation with Atari, Rogers contacted Stein in November 1988. Stein agreed to sign a contract, but explained that he had to consult Elorg before returning to negotiations with Rogers. After contacting Stein several times, Rogers began to suspect a breach of contract on Stein's part and decided in February 1989 to go to the Soviet Union and
0: negotiate the rights with Elorg. So the reason I've included so much of this is this is absolutely insane that this starts off at a research project. This dude just kind of like, I like games, put them together, kind of this dude in Hungary, gets over to Poland, happens to have this London-based guy pull this thing, basically steal it and sell it worldwide to multiple people who think they own a right to do this. When in reality, none of them kind of do. But they also do, based on what happened, it's, it's such a cluster for this building, and it just gets weirder.
1: This is like some evil villain-like scheming, basically, happening, yeah. is, is what it feels like. It feels very 80s supervillain, but in the video game world, which is not nearly as
0: uh, ominous, but still interesting. It really is. And so as we continue, so Rogers arrived at the ELORG offices uninvited, while Stein and Mirosoft manager Kevin Maxwell made an appointment the same day without consulting each other. During the discussions, Rogers explained that he wanted to obtain the rights to Tetris for the Game Boy. After quickly obtaining an agreement with ELORG president Nikolai Belikov, Rogers showed Belikov a Tetris cartridge. Belikov was surprised as he believed at the time that the rights to Tetris were only signed for computer systems. The present parties accused Nintendo of illegal publication, but Rogers defended himself by explaining that he had obtained the rights via Atari Games, which had itself signed an agreement with Stein. Belikov then realized the complex path that the license had followed within four years because of Stein's contracts, and he constructed a strategy to regain possession of the rights and obtain better commercial agreements. At that point, Elerg was faced with three different companies seeking to buy the rights. During this time, Rogers befriended Pejetnov over a game of Go. Pejetnov would support Rogers throughout the discussions, to the detriment of Maxwell, who came to secure the Tetris rights from Mirosoft. Belikov proposed to Rogers that Stein's rights would be cancelled, and Nintendo would be granted the game rights for both home and handheld consoles. Rogers flew to the United States to convince Nintendo's American branch to sign up for the rights. The contract with Elorg was signed by Executive and President Minoru Arakawa for five hundred thousand U.S. dollars plus fifty cents per cartridge sold. Elorg then sent an updated contract to Stein. One of the clauses defined a computer as a machine with a screen and keyboard, and thus Stein's rights to console versions were withdrawn. Stein signed the contract without paying attention to this clause, and later realized that all the contract's other clauses, notably on payments, were only a smokescreen to deceive him.
1: In March 1989, Nintendo sent a cease and desist to Atari Games concerning production of the NES version of Tetris. Atari Games contacted Microsoft and were assured that they still retained the rights. Nintendo, however, maintained its position. In response, Mirosoft owner Robert Maxwell pressured Soviet Union leader Mikhail Gorbachev to cancel the contract between Elorg and Nintendo. Despite the threats to Belikov, Elorg refused to give in and highlighted the financial advantages of their contract compared to those signed with Stein and Mirosoft. On June 15, 1989, Nintendo and Atari Games began a legal battle in the courts of San Francisco. Atari Games sought to prove that the NES was a computer as indicated by its Japanese name, Famicom, an abbreviation of Family Computer. In this case, the initial license would authorize Atari Games to release the game. The central argument of Atari Games was that the Famicom was designed to be convertible into a computer via its extension port. This argument was not accepted, and Paget-Nov stressed that the initial contract only concerned computers and no other machine. Nintendo brought Bellicove to testify on its behalf. Judge Fern M. Smith declared that Microsoft and Spectrum Holobyte never received explicit authorization for marketing on consoles, and on June 21, 1989, ruled in Nintendo's favor, granting them a preliminary injunction against Atari Games in the process. The next day, Atari Games withdrew its NES version from sale, and thousands of cartridges remained unsold in the company's warehouses. Sega had planned to release a Genesis version of Tetris on April 15th, 1989, but canceled its release during Nintendo and Atari's legal battle. Fewer than 10 copies were manufactured. And a new port of the arcade version by M2 was included in the Sega Genesis Mini micro Console released in September 2019.
0: Again, it's just getting bloodier and bloodier as we're seeing like, Not reading fine print, but also just like everyone just being like, yeah, sign this thing. Yeah, you're good to go. Hey, 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 you can sell your games. And then being like, this was all down to one random guy with a fax who then was (laughs) like, yep, we did this.
1: I mean, it's interesting because it's such a simple design. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we've talked about its addictive nature just in that simplicity but also the ability to have it easily go to all these different consoles and not have to worry about anything like that, you know? That's what really makes this situation possible. (laughs) There were all these other games that they made, of course, that were so specific to computers or consoles or whatever and Tetris. Just within that simplicity is able to basically go everywhere. Like, this is something that could not happen today in the same way, just with the knowledge of how expensive and difficult ports can be sometimes.
0: Well, absolutely, and just like just the simple nature, and th- this is really what I do love about very early games, which were, which were much more puzzle ideas. Even platformers were very much more puzzles of how do you figure this out, and getting this into people's homes and, and workplaces, obviously. It's very interesting to see how this just exploded, and it was kind of something that people wanted, and it's so it's very simple. But, Derek, we do wrap this up with a positive note. As we start to figure out what's happening with the Tetris brand overall, what, what is this? And so, throughout the legal history of the license, Nov gained a reputation in the West. He was regularly invited by journalists and publishers, through which he discovered that his game had sold millions of copies, from which he had not made any money. However, he remained humble and proud of the game, which he considered an electronic ambassador of benevolence. And in January 1990, Pejitnov was invited by Spectrum Holobyte to the Consumer Electronics Show, or CES, and was immersed in American life for the first time. After a period of adaptation, he explored American culture in several cities, including Las Vegas, San Francisco, New York City, and Boston, and engaged in interviews with several hosts, including the directors of Nintendo of America. He marveled at the freedom and advantages of Western society and spoke often of his travels to his colleagues upon returning to the Soviet Union. He realized that there was no market in Russia for their programs. At the same time, sales of the Game Boy, bundled with a handheld version of Tetris, as Derek had said, exploded, exceeding sales forecasts three times. In 1991, Pajitnov and
1: Polkielko immigrated to the United States. Pajitnov moved to Seattle, where he produced games for Spectrum Holobyte. In April of 96, as agreed with the Academy 10 years earlier and following an agreement with Rogers, the rights to Tetris reverted to Paget Pejitnov and Rogers founded the Tetris Company in June of 1996 to manage the rights on all platforms, the previous agreements having expired. Pejitnov now receives a royalty for each Tetris game and derivative sold worldwide. And thank... The video gaming gods for that. This man deserves it all. (laughs) Absolutely. In 2002, Paget and Rogers founded Tetris Holding after the purchase of the game's remaining rights from Elorg, now a private entity following the dissolution of the Soviet Union. The Tetris company now owns all rights to the Tetris brand and is mainly responsible for removing unlicensed clones from the market. The company regularly calls on Apple, Incorporated, and Google to remove illegal versions from their mobile app stores, to the surprise of no one. In one notable 2012 case, Tetris Holding LLC vs. Zhao Interactive Incorporated, Tetris Holding and the Tetris company defended its copyright against an iOS clone, which established a new stance on evaluating video game clone infringements based on look and feel. In December 2005, Electronic Arts acquired Jamdat, a company specializing in mobile games. Jamdat had previously bought a company founded by Rogers in 2001, which managed the Tetris license on mobile platforms. As a result, EA held a 15-year license on all mobile phone releases of Tetris,
0: which expired on April 21st, 2020. So, a very wild ride to where we are today in 2023 in that aspect of I think most everyone and their mothers and grandmothers know of Tetris or at least the name of it and this honestly would not have been possible if not for some random Hungarian person with some floppies giving it out to some random London game tech businessman who then pushed it out to the masses. It's, he got sloppy with the floppies.
1: That's the He problem. got sloppy
0: with the floppy and, and, and it went everywhere. And it's crazy. And and again, positive source seeing that we now see that Pejatnov ended up getting the rights and making a little little bread. Right. Little, little little cheddar action after this, you know, based on the things he's created, and living that high life over there on the West Coast, you know, overall a, overall a positive. Definitely, I I would
1: say the happiest that this ending could probably
0: turn out. Oh, absolutely. It's a Hallmark movie, Derek.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all
0: is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time
1: you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's find Reese's now at a store near you.
0: Now, I want to talk about the gameplay. Most of you know it, but I want to just break it down in layman's terms of how you drop blocks now. Tetris is primarily composed of a field of play in which pieces of different geometric forms, as we know them as tetrominoes, descend from the top of the field. During this descent, the player can move the pieces laterally and rotate them until they touch the bottom of the field or land on a piece that has been placed before it. The player can neither slow down the falling pieces nor stop them, but can accelerate them in most versions. The objective of the game is to use the pieces to create as many horizontal lines of blocks as possible. When a line is completed, it disappears, and the blocks placed above Fall 1 rank. Completing lines grants points, and accumulating a certain number of points or lines cleared moves the player up a level, which increases the number of points granted per completed line. In most versions, the speed of the falling pieces increases with each level, leaving the player with less time to think about the placement. The player can clear multiple lines at once, which can earn bonus points in some versions. It is possible to complete up to four lines simultaneously with the use of the I-shaped tetromino. This move is called a Tetris and is the basis of the game's title. If the player cannot make the blocks disappear quickly enough, the field will start to fill up. And when the pieces reach the top of the field and prevent the arrival of additional piece, are done. At the end of each game, the player receives a score based on the number of lines that have been completed. The game never ends with the player's victory, the player can only complete as many lines as possible before an inevitable loss, just like life. We're all Sisyphus rolling that boulder. Now, since 1996, the Tetris company has internally defined specifications and guidelines that publishers must adhere to in order to be granted a license to Tetris. The contents of these guidelines establish such elements as the correspondence of buttons and actions, the size of the field of play, the system of rotation, and many others, that gets us that very systematic same style of game, although looking a little different per play, such as Tetris 99, but gives you that same feel.
1: Love Tetris 99. Yeah, there. if you play versions of Tetris, if you've played them over the years, you can notice really subtle differences within the gameplay. Like the gameplay Mm -hmm. is still the same, but there are those little things that just made their way into various versions. So finding a consistent standard, I think it makes the most sense for a modern version of Tetris. Well,
0: it absolutely does. Because like you said, like maybe sounds are added, explosions when bricks are thrown down, different colors, techno mode, all these things. But it gives it that McDonald's treatment of no matter where you go, <laughs> you're getting that same style of product, even if it's slightly different regionally, it's at least going to give you that same feel, and you know where you are. Sure.
1: And uh, Tetris 99, uh, teaming up with Nintendo and their IPs, all kinds of different backgrounds from other Nintendo games. The music is similar mm-hmm. then. Um, the shapes and, and things like that are all similar. So, Absolutely. The scoring formula for the majority of Tetris products is built on the idea that more difficult line clears should be awarded more points. For example, a single line clear in Tetris Zone is worth 100 points. Clearing four lines at once, known as a Tetris, is worth 800 while each subsequent back-to-back Tetris is worth 1200 In conjunction, players can be awarded combos that exist in certain games which reward multiple line clears in quick succession. The exact conditions for triggering combos and the amount of importance assigned to them vary from game to game. Nearly all Tetris games allow the player to press a button to increase the speed of the current piece's descent or cause the piece to drop and lock into place immediately, known as a soft drop and a hard drop, respectively. While performing a soft drop, the player can also stop the piece's increased speed by releasing the button before the piece settles into place. Some games only allow either soft drop or hard drop. Others have separate buttons for both. Many games award a number of points based on the height that the piece fell before locking, so using the hard drop generally awards more points. You a soft drop or hard drop guy,
0: Alex? A little bit of both. Oh, man. I am terrible at Tetris, and I'm a hard drop guy through and through. I see the piece for two seconds, seeing what it is. I go, that's pretty good there. See,
1: the soft (laughs) drop is great because you can just keep spinning. Like, you can buy some time when you get the piece down. To the rest of the blocks, and you can just kind of keep spinning for a little bit, um, especially in Tetris 99 when you're just trying to survive. I think the mm. highest I've finished in that is top three.
0: Ooh, pretty good. But Tetris aficionado here been chasing. Yeah, and that. you can get like those like <laughs> those little cheeky like if you have like a little area that's like under a piece, you got like, a little hole you can fill. You can get like your piece kind of close with like a T form, and then you turn it real quick to get yeah. slotted in. Yes, yeah.
1: That's the move. I don't have the patience for Tetris. so I just go, psh, psh, psh,
0: psh. oh, I love me some <laughs> Tetris. But here's the thing, Derek. The question, would it be possible to play forever and ever and ever, was first considered in a thesis by John Brustowski in 1992. The conclusion reached was that the game is statistically doomed to end. If a player receives a sufficiently large sequence of alternating S and Z tetrominoes, the naive gravity used by the standard game eventually forces the player to leave holes on the board. The holes will necessarily stack to the top and ultimately end the game. If the pieces are distributed randomly, this sequence will eventually occur. Thus, if a game with, for example, an ideal, uniform, uncorrelated random number generation is played long enough, any player will almost surely top out. So it it is interesting if you had, if you had, you know, uniformly tried to do this, where you're always going to have a Z piece fourth and I piece tenth continually. Yeah, you might be able to go forever, but I get it. Using random number generation and always having a hole somewhere. You going a bottom out? You got to top out, I should say.
1: Yeah, I wonder if anyone's run an experiment where they had a computer play Tetris for as long as the computer could keep up with that or pattern. Just, just but, te- but based well, on plausibly. this theory, you know, it wouldn't even, eventually it would have to just with the basis of the, the shapes themselves, regardless of how quick you could go.
0: The thing is, though, modern versions of Tetris released after 2001 use a bag-style randomizer that guarantees players will never receive more than four S or Z or Z pieces in a row by shuffling tetrominos of all types for each seven pieces. This is one of the indispensable rules enforced by the Tetris guideline that all officially licensed Tetris games must follow. That way it keeps you wanting to come back for more. You don't feel screwed over being like, I can't, they don't, don't fit. This yeah. is at least like, <laughs> Allows you to do that. Yeah, this
1: uh, type of infinite gameplay is the origin of predatory mobile gaming. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Origins here, baby.
1: So let's talk a little bit about this spin that I referenced. The easy spin mm-hmm. or the infinite spin is a feature in some Tetris games where a Tetramino stops falling for a moment after left or right movement or rotation, effectively allowing the player to suspend the piece while deciding where to place it. The mechanic was introduced in 99's The Next Tetris and drew criticism in reviews of 2001's Tetris Worlds. This feature has been implemented into the Tetris company's official guideline. This type of play differs from traditional Tetris because it takes away the pressure of higher level speed. Some reviewers went so far as to say that this mechanism broke the game. The goal in Tetris Worlds, however, is to complete a certain number of lines as fast as possible, so the ability to hold off a piece's placement will not make achieving that goal any faster. Later, GameSpot received Easy Spin more openly, saying that the infinite spin issue honestly really affects only a few of the single-player gameplay modes in Tetris DS because any competitive mode requires you to lay down pieces as quickly as humanly possible. Hank Rogers stated in an interview that infinite spin was an intentional part of the game design, allowing novice players to expend some of their available scoring time to decide on the best placement of a piece. Rogers observed that the gratuitous spinning does not occur in competitive play, as expert players do not require much time to think about where a piece should be placed. A limitation has been placed on infinite lock delay in later games of the franchise, where after a certain amount of rotations and movements, the piece will instantly lock itself. This is defaulted to 15 such actions. And this is the downfall of Derek playing Tetris 99, because <laughs> I am not an expert on Tetris. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could get pretty quick, but yeah, that... That spinning really is just to buy some time at the end where everything's going so fast that I know I'm going to (laughs) lose. And I just hope that someone else gets knocked out before I do.
0: Yep. It's just, it's literally just, you're watching your doom approach, but it's like, how do I delay it as fast as possible? So someone else dooms before me. It's very good. It's very good. Now, Derek, here's the thing. I just assumed whenever I first started playing Tetris. You know you're I just had the assumption it was always there. But the earliest versions of Tetris had no music. Now the NES version included two original compositions by Hirokazu Tanaka, along with an arrangement of Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy from the second act of the Nutcracker, composed by Tchaikovsky. 1860s Russian folk tune Korbaniki first appeared in Spectrum Holobyte's 1988 versions of Tetris, together with Dark Eyes, Polyushko Polé, and The Birch Tree. So getting our classic ones, finally in the game in 88. Nintendo's Game Boy version also includes Korobaniki, as well as Johann Sebastian Bach's French Suite number no. 3 in B minor, and an original track by Tanaka. Korobaniki is used in most versions of the game, and has appeared in other games, albums, and films that make reference to Tetris. It was also included in the SNES Tetris game, Tetris and Dr. Mario, Tetris DS, and Blue Planet software, The Next Tetris. Dr. Spin's 1992 Eurodance cover reached number six on the UK singles chart. In the 2000s, the Tetris company added as a prerequisite for the granting of the license that a version of Korobinicki be available in the game. So trying to always bring that classic, Dance tune. I think we all love it now. It's a full dance tune, in my opinion, (laughs) to each of the games. Has this made it into the just
1: dance realm? Googling it as we speak. Uh, Yes, it does. In the 2015 version. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Karbenicki, It just got that dancing vibe that just you just dance. It's like, listen, 1,800 songs given to me because they were there for like celebration and, and, you know, dancing and and exquisite balls. And you've got that perfect, like, duh. Like, on beat? Yeah. It's great. Like an EDM before they even knew it. (laughs) (laughs) There are over
1: 120 official and unofficial releases of Tetris. Not surprising at all by the amount that this game has been ported. Tetris has been released on a multitude of platforms since the creation of the original version on the Electronica 60. It's available on most game consoles and is playable on PCs, smartphones, and iPods. Guinness World Records recognized Tetris as the most ported video game in history, having appeared on over 65 different platforms as of October 2010. And since the 2000s, internet versions of the game have been developed. However, commercial versions not approved by the Tetris company tend to be purged due to company policy. The most famous online version, Tetris Friends by Tetris Online Incorporated, had attracted over a million registered users. Tetris Online has also developed versions for console-based digital download services. And because of its popularity and simplicity of development, Tetris is often used as a hello world project for programmers coding for a new system or programming language. This has resulted in the availability of a large number of ports for different platforms. For instance, uTorrent and GNU Emacs contain similar shape stacking games as Easter eggs. Within official franchise installments each version has made improvements to accommodate advancing technology and the goal to provide a more complete game. Developers are given freedom to add new modes of play and revisit the concept from different angles. Some concepts developed on official versions have been integrated into the Tetris guidelines in order to standardize future versions and allow players to migrate between different versions with little effort. The IBM PC version was the most evolved from the original version, featuring a graphical interface, colored Tetraminos, running statistics for the number of Tetraminos placed, and a guide for the controls. In 2020, the intellectual property of the license belongs to Blue Planet Software. Maya, who is the daughter of Rogers, supervises licenses to developers controlling their products. So definitely, I think, a favorite pastime of people looking for
0: a simple way to just pass their time. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. And we see it a bit more in a couple more pop. I mean, a lot of pop culture references. But something to note is we see Tetris appear in the 2010 short animated film Pixels. And in the 2015 movie of the same name, inspired by the former, that Adam Sandler-esque movie, which was okay. In 2014, it was announced that Threshold Entertainment had teamed up with the Tetris Company to develop Tetris The Movie, a film adaptation of the game. Threshold's CEO described the film as an epic sci-fi adventure. It would be the first part of a trilogy. In 2016, sources reported on a press release claiming the film would be shot in China in 2017 with an $80 million U.S. budget. However, no 2017 or later sources confirm the film ever actually went into production. But, a movie titled Tetris, about the legal battle surrounding the game in the late 1980s, was announced in 2020 to star Taron Egerton as Hank Rogers. So, Potential for this podcast format to be big screen format. Love Taryn Egerton. He can do it all. He can do it all, and we'll see
1: if he does it on the big screen, trying to steal Tetris away. So, we touched on this at the beginning of the episode the Tetris effect. Obviously, there are some cognitive effects actually from playing Tetris specifically, also other video games, but Tetris is really where the phenomenon got its name, obviously, being mm-hmm. known as the Tetris effect. According to research from Richard Hare, prolonged Tetris activity can also lead to more efficient brain activity during play. When first playing Tetris, brain function and activity increases, along with greater cerebral energy consumption measured by glucose metabolic rate. As Tetris players become more proficient, their brains show a reduced consumption of glucose, indicating more efficient brain activity for this task. According to one study, Moderate Play of Tetris, which is half an hour a day for three months, boosts general cognitive functions such as critical thinking, reasoning, language, and processing, and increases cerebral cortex thickness. Jackie Andrade and John May from Plymouth University's Cognition Institute and doctoral student Jessica Scorka Brown have conducted research that shows that playing Tetris could distract from cravings and give a quick and manageable fix for people struggling to stick to diets or quit smoking or drinking alcohol. Another notable effect is that, according to a Canadian study in April 2013, playing Tetris has been found to treat older adolescents with amblyopia, or lazy eye, which was better than patching a victim's well eye to train their weaker eye. Robert Hess of the research team said, It's much better than patching, much more enjoyable, it's faster, and it seems to work better.
0: Tested in the UK, this experiment also appears to help children with that problem. Now, Tetris can cause the brain to involuntarily picture Tetris combinations even when the player is not playing. The Tetris effect. Although this can occur with any computer game or situation showcasing repeated images or scenarios, such as a jigsaw puzzle. While debates about Tetris's cognitive benefits continue, some researchers view it as a milestone in the gamification of education. Now, one way that I picture this is when you play like Rock Band or Guitar Hero, you are seeing those notes go up the board. And when you look away, like all your vision's kind of going up as well, like your brain has gotten used to tracking that. Yep. So you've got the Guitar Hero effect.
1: That's that's immediately the first thing that I really think of because I've played Tetris for extended periods as well. And yeah, there is like a little bit of something that happens, but it's not nearly as noticeable, in my opinion, as it was. I mean, man, when Guitar Hero came out, I would play that game basically all the way through the career mode if I could mm-hmm. in, in a single session, you know, and and doing that. It's very noticeable all of a sudden when your walls start moving up. <laughs> exactly Where the Tetris one I think is a little bit more subtle. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you're a listener that's played either of these games, you've probably experienced that to some degree.
0: Yeah, like the adaptations in life. Even the things of like, ooh, you see like a thing that's like it looks like an eyepiece piece or an L piece, you're like, oh, it's Tetris piece. Like that, <laughs> that idea of like cognitively like we worming into your brain kind of gets there. Right. Now, in January 2009, an Oxford University research group headed by Emily Holmes reported that, for healthy volunteers, playing Tetris soon after viewing traumatic material in the laboratory reduced the number of flashbacks to those scenes in the following week. They believe that the computer game may disrupt the memories that are retained of the sights and sounds witnessed at the time. And which are later re experienced through involuntary distressing flashbacks of that moment. The group hoped to develop this approach further as a potential intervention to reduce the flashbacks experienced in post traumatic stress disorder, but emphasized that these are only preliminary results. A 2017 study found that people who played Tetris and similar games such as Candy Crush while waiting for treatment following traffic accidents had fewer intrusive memories the following week. And it's been studied that Tetris is addictive because of the Zygernik effect, that the human brain stores incomplete tasks and disposes of them when no longer needed. But Tetris, by creating new unfinished tasks, holds our attention. And I think we see that in really any puzzle game and really any video game. That's what quests are. Hey, you did your thing, but you're not done. Like you're still Sisyphus, you're rolling that boulder up, you're going to get there eventually, and that's what keeps you coming back.
1: Yeah, I think that it's a great demonstration of that on a very, very micro scale, happening very Mm -hmm. quickly, very rapidly, for sure. But absolutely agree that I think that's video games and their nature in general. I do find it very interesting that there were people playing Tetris and Candy Crush right after getting in a car accident. Because that would not be where my my mind went.
0: Well, I I believe it's it's they were saying when they were se- while they were waiting for treatment. So I don't know if that's I assume it's at the hospital plausibly, and not. <laughs> I'm hoping it's not in your car, glass everywhere, just like oh, one more level <laughs> of Candy Crush. <laughs> I
1: was level four ninety nine. I'm <laughs> so close. I can't die before I get to
0: five hundred. So cool. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Oh, I don't remember, but I did get to level five hundred. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, man, that's terrible. <laughs> Let's move on to the general reception of the addictive Absolutely. game known as Tetris. <laughs> so good you'd play it after a car crash. Should put Absolutely. that on the box. <laughs> Compute called the IBM version of Tetris one of the most addictive computer games this side of the Berlin Wall. It is not the game to start if you have work to do or an appointment to keep. Consider yourself warned. Orson Scott Card joked that the game proves that Russia still wants to bury us. I shudder to think of the blow to our economy as computer productivity drops to zero. Noting that Tetris was not copy protected, he wrote, "Obviously, the game is meant to find its way onto every American machine." The IBM version of the game was reviewed in 1988 in Dragon number 135 by Hartley, Patricia and Kirk Lesser. In the role of computers column, the reviewers gave the game four point five out of five stars. The Lessers later reviewed Spectrum Holobyte's Macintosh version of Tetris in 1989 and Dragon Number One Forty One, giving that version five out of five stars. MacWorld reviewed the Macintosh version of Tetris in 1988, praising its strategic gameplay, stating that Tetris offers the rare combination of being simple to learn but extremely challenging to play and also praising the inclusion of the desk accessory version, which uses less RAM. Macworld summarized their review by listing Tetris's pros and cons, stating that Tetris is elegant, easy-to-play, challenging, and addicting, requires quick thinking, long-term strategy, and lightning reflexes, and listed Tetris's cons as none. There was a hoax that circulated in February 2019 that the original NES instruction manual for Tetris had named the seven tetraminos with names like orange ricky, hero, and smash boy, but was disproven. Despite being disproved by video game historians, a question on the October 7th that year airing of Jeopardy alluded to these names.
0: Mm. Now, Spectrum Holobytes versions for personal computers sold 150,000 copies for 6 million US dollars, around 14 million adjusted for inflation in 2 years between 1988 and 1990. Tetris gained greater success with the release of Nintendo's NES version and Game Boy version in 1989. In six months of release by 1990, the NES version sold 1.5 million copies for 52 million US, which was adjusted for $114 million for inflation, while Game Boy bundles with Tetris sold 2 million units. It topped the Japanese sales charts during August, September of 1989, and from December 1989 to January of the next year, Tetris became Nintendo's top seller for the first few months of 1990. Nintendo's version of Tetris went on to sell 7.5 million copies in the United States by 1992 and more than 20 million worldwide by 96. Nintendo eventually sold a total of 35 million copies for the Game Boy and 8 million for the NES. Sega's arcade version of Tetris was also successful in Japan where it became the highest-grossing arcade game of 1989. Spectrum HoloBytes PC versions of Tetris eventually sold more than 1 million copies as of 95, with women, accounting for nearly half of Tetris players, in contrast to most other PC games. And in January 2010, the Tetris franchise had sold more than 170 million copies, including approximately 70 million physical copies and over 100 million copies for cell phones making it one of the best-selling video game franchises of all time. And as of December 2011, Tetris has sold 132 million paid mobile game downloads. I
1: definitely had this game on my phone um, in high school and was very distracting. You're one of those 132s? (laughs) Contributed to my educational downturn. (laughs) In 1993, the ZX Spectrum version of the game was voted number 49 in the Your Sinclair Official Top 100 Games of All Time. In 1996, Tetris Pro was ranked the 38th best game of all time by Amiga Power. Entertainment Weekly picked the game as the number 8 greatest games available in 1991, saying, thanks to Nintendo's endless promotion, Tetris has become one of the most popular video games. Computer Gaming World gave Tetris the 1989 Compute Choice Award for Arcade Game, describing it as, by far, the most addictive game ever. The game won three Software Publishers Association Excellence in Software Awards in 1989, including Best Entertainment Program and the Critics' Choice Award for Consumers. In 1995, Flux Magazine ranked Tetris 30th on their Top 100 Video Games. Computer Gaming World in 1996 ranked it 14th on the magazine's list of the most innovative computer games. In that same year, Next Generation listed it as number two on their top 100 games of all time, commenting that there is something so perfect, so zen about the falling blocks of Tetris that the game has captured the interest of everyone who has ever played it. In 1999, Next Generation listed Tetris as number two on their top 50 games of all time. Commenting that Tetris is the essence of gameplay at its most basic. You have a simple goal, simple controls, and simple objects to manipulate. On March 12, 2007, the New York Times reported that Tetris was named to a list of the 10 most important video games of all time, the so-called Game Canon. After it was announced at the 2007 Game Developers Conference, the Library of Congress took up the video game preservation
0: proposal and began with these 10 games, including Tetris. In 2007, video game website GameFAQs hosted its 6th annual Character Battle, in which the users nominate their favorite video game characters for a popularity contest in which characters participate. The L-shaped Tetris piece, or L-block as it was called, entered the contest as a joke character. But on November 4th, it won the contest. On June 6, 2009, Google honored Tetris' 25th anniversary by changing its logotype to a version drawn with Tetris blocks. In 2009 as well, Game Informer put Tetris third on their list of the top 200 games of all time, saying that if a game could be considered ageless, it's Tetris. And the Game Informer staff also placed it third on their 2001 list of best 100 games ever. Electronic Gaming Monthly's 100th issue had Tetris as first place in the 100 best games of all time, commenting that Tetris is as pure as a video game can get when the right blocks come your way, and if you can manage to avoid mistakes, the game can be relaxing. One mislaid block, however, and your duties switch to damage control, a mad panicky dash to clean up your mess. Oh <laughs> Tetris was also the only game for which the list did not specify one or two versions. And the editors explained that after deadlocking over which version was best, they concluded that there was no wrong version of Tetris to play. And in 2007, Tetris came in second place in IGN's 100 Greatest Video Games of All Time, listing it in many, many, many places, knowing just the influence of it, the simplicity of Tetris, but the influence it has on the gaming world I mean, at large.
1: That mad panicky dash to clean up your mess or die. It shouldn't feel that way, but it does feel that way when you're playing Tetris. You make a simple mistake. Mm -hmm. You're doing the hard drops and you just you didn't flip it one extra time or something like that. Maybe you were slightly off. If you're playing on the Nintendo Switch's Pro Controller Mm D-Pad, a lot of people will complain that that thing isn't always accurate, and it's true. Um, Sometimes you hit the the up button and it moves it right or left first, and then it, it does the hard drop on you. So it suddenly goes from very relaxing to very, very challenging and difficult, but fun. Addicting. I still love playing Tetris 99. It's one of those games, Mm -hmm. especially for a console like the Nintendo Switch, that you can just kind of pick up and put down and play and not really stress or think about. I don't need any kind of true warm-up. Hey, what was I doing last time I picked this game up? Oh, yeah, I was doing this. Better head in this direction or whatever. Tetris, you just start it up. Mm -hmm. You can go. There's obviously a lot of games that are similar to Tetris. I think about uh, Dr. Mario, for instance, a little bit different, more about uh, sort of like a bejeweled hybrid with Tetris in that regard, but tons of games with that scrolling sort of design that are a lot of fun. I think Tetris is clearly the best uh, option in that regard, better than Candy Crush, better than any type of game similar Mm -hmm. to that. For me, in that category, it's 10 out of 10. I'd say as a game overall, it's probably like a 7 out of 10 because it it exists the way that it exists. Sure. You know what you're getting into. It's not the type of game that's going to ever give you any sort of new and exciting surprise, regardless of what version you're playing. Um, you kind of know what you're going to get well-designed in that regard, but just not a lot to it. Beautiful in its simplicity, but that's my review. What about you?
0: No, I, I think that really hits it. I, I think even taking out just the crazy importance of what this game was and the insane un- <laughs> unlikelihood of this even happening and just all this happenstance to, to come to, I think, yeah, it, it established puzzle games. You know, there, there were other puzzle games at the time, but this established one Especially with the update when it went to IBM on the IBM computer, uh, and and changing to colors and scores and, and like adding more elements to it, that was really kind of that that takeoff that I think needed to kind of happen uh, for this to be established in there, and crushing productivity for a generation. Exactly, exactly, and and for this to be in that era of like coming from like Pong into like a Tetris and, and seeing that 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 adaptation and change is huge. And you're right. Like puzzle game wise papa of the puzzles and, and really rules over all. And having that Daddy guideline Tetris. <laughs> Daddy Tetris. Having, having that guideline book is huge. I think without that, you start to muddy the waters of what Tetris is. And we see it in a lot of games where like any of the gaming Bibles just thrown out for either new age things or to change this up or let's experiment with this. And then it goes bad and it kind of ruins a lot of series. And for this to stay consistent is huge. So if I had to give it a score, I would give it a... Out of ten. That's about what I would give it. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I'll thank everybody. That's a great review. I think it's perfect. I think it's the one that needed to happen. It's the one we have been waiting for. It really it I chanted theirs. house else has done this for like 30 years. No, 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 no. True one here. It's true.
1: I I would put yours up there in terms of reviews because anyone could just throw this on a list and say, "Oh, Tetris, second best video game of all time." Obviously, can't make it number one, but number two. But you, you gave it the true review. True review (laughs) of uh, (laughs) Of that
0: EDM bop. The EDM bop. That's all we need in life. They knew it.
1: Fun episode. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for this episode was recorded, written, given to us, played, whatever other things happen in music, by our friend Evan
0: Barr. And our lovely artwork was provided to us by Aaron Shattuck. Hey, absolutely. and want to thank those members of our Patreon today who have been helping us out monetarily, but also all you listening, but we want to thank those members today with Keller Kane, Lee, Tom John, Nick Hyman, Snide T-Bird, and Duststorm. Uh, If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash finish the fight. We have plenty of digital and physical rewards, as well as game nights, servers for games, D&D nights, whatever you want to do. We got some stuff up there
1: for you.
0: You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We are also
1: on Discord. It's free to join. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time, talking games, talking TV shows, talking movies, talking food. i would love to see you there. It's a lot of
0: fun. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to check us out on Twitch, you can see me over at Twitch.tv/sourman70. That's Twitch.tv/sourman70. As well as Derek over at Twitch.tv/thebakerman247. That is Twitch.tv/thebakerman247. You can find this podcast on Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please drop us a review. It helps us out a lot and we love to hear from you. If you're listening on Spotify, please participate in the polls and Q&A section as well. Love interacting with you guys via those mediums. And
0: that concludes our coverage of Tetris. Is there a more iconic game in terms of you know, playability, no ability. Not like NO, but KNO, you know what I mean. Well, there is really no ability when you're playing like <laughs> me. Uh <laughs> no
1: nobility. nobility. We'll say that's what oh, that is. Nobility. Ooh, fancy. The noble daddy <laughs> Tetris. Of course.
0: Um, or do you have a more interesting story of development? I, I love getting into that nitty-gritty of like the craziness that goes into developing these things that we take for granted every day. If you do, drop us a line. Let us know. You're fantastic. And as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall.
1: And I am your host,
0: L-shaped Tetris Block. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.